Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. I don't have the best memory of my childhood. Not that my childhood was bad. It wasn't. But I just don't remember that much of it compared to a lot of people. My grandfather always stood out to me, which was strange, I know, because he was never really around very much. The few times that he came around for Christmas or some other family occasion, he seemed a a kind but serious man. I remember him talking to me and showing me coin tricks, and I liked the sound of his deep, rumbling voice as he told me stories about far-off lands and fantastic creatures. I remembered liking him and feeling sorry for him because, underneath it all, he seemed very sad and tired. I knew that my grandmother had died not long before I was born, so I always imagined that was a lot of why he was sad. I say all of this to explain that I had a limited but positive idea of my grandfather before a few days ago. So... Last month, my parents were they were killed in a car accident coming back from a movie. I live two states away, but as their only child and closest relative, I got the call. The next few hours were just a haze of travel and crying and shock, but I know that when I got to the hospital, my grandfather was there, even as an adult. I was amazed at how large of a man that he was, and when he swept me up in a a quiet hug, I cried against him for several minutes, welcoming the comfort. We did the funeral arrangements together, and agreed that we would come back in a few weeks to go through all of their things and get the house ready to sell. He had already made clear that regardless of whether they had a will or not, he wanted everything to go to me, but... He would be happy to help and get to know his grandson a bit better. The funerals, they went well, as far as those kinds of things can go, I guess. And I just went back to life. 
last week I got a call from my grandfather and we agreed to meet up this past weekend to start going through all of their belongings. I got to the house on Sunday morning and the last couple of days have been a, a bit sad at times but they've been a lot of fun as well. My grandfather is honestly much like I remembered him. A serious but kind man that enjoys talking and telling stories. And he has actual conversations with you rather than just taking turns monologuing, which is a rare commodity in my experiences with older people or people in general nowadays, I suppose. He wanted to know about my work, if I had a girlfriend, if I liked the area that I lived in. He told me some about his days in the army as a medic and then his time as a doctor. I knew that he had been a pretty famous surgeon at one point, but that mostly stopped after his wife died. He still had a, a small practice and would sometimes publish academic articles, but he had saved much of the money from his earlier career as a surgeon, so he was comfortable enough financially that he could do what he wanted for the most part. Much of our time was spent busy and just in separate parts of the house or the garage, so we would largely talk at meals and in the evening hours before bed. By the second night, I would say that we were more comfortable with each other and that's when my grandfather started talking about his wife. Even now, some 30 years after her death, it was, it was clear how much he loved her and missed her. He started off by telling a story that involved her only peripherally, but soon he was just telling things about her. Funny stories, tales that illustrated how smart or good she was, little sayings that she used to have. It was sentimental, but it was so genuine and heartfelt that I wasn't uncomfortable at all. Seeing how much he loved her, it really made me love both of them more. I had no sooner finished that thought when his expression turned darker, almost like a, a ship entering sudden storms. He started talking about how she was taken from him, how that man, that thing had killed her. I just listened, but internally I was wondering where all of this was coming from. As far as I knew, my grandmother had been killed by a drunk driver, and while that was terrible, he was making it sound like it was something else, like she had been intentionally murdered in some way. It was all pretty vague, but I could still see when he realized that he was saying more than he intended. He looked embarrassed and apologized for rambling on, making some passing remark about how he had become the old man at the mall that will just talk for hours about nothing. I laughed and was going to reassure him that I was enjoying it, but he was already on his feet and looking at his watch. He had to be going, he said. He had to run into town to take care of a couple of things before it got too late, but he'd see me in the morning. I found this all very strange for a couple of reasons. I mean, first, we had just gone to town earlier that day and bought supplies and groceries to last at least a couple more days. Second, it was nearing 10 o'clock and aside from a, a gas station or a bar, I doubted much would be open in the closest town, which was relatively small anyway and a good 30 minutes away. Still, he was a grown man and my elder and it was none of my business where he went or what he did. 
Maybe he just wanted to go off and be by himself after talking about his wife so much. In any case, I, I said goodnight and he headed out. A minute later, I heard his giant SUV rumble to life outside and trundled its way out into the night. I went to bed, but though I was tired, I had trouble falling asleep that night. Part of it was sleeping in a strange place, I'm sure. This house had not been our house when I was growing up, so aside from visits, I had never really slept here for long. Part of it was worrying about my grandfather. My bed was next to a window on the upper floor, so periodically I would peek out to see if I saw a sign of his return. The moon wasn't full, but it was still bright enough to shine off the lawn and the trees that grew thick as they became woods and, and forest. In fact, it was beautiful and I knew that my parents had loved it here. Still, it was too remote for my tastes and if they hadn't have lived so far out of town, they probably wouldn't have gotten killed coming back from a movie. The thought, it made me angry, so I pushed it aside. Picking up my tablet, I started reading and before I knew it, I was asleep. Now, I'm not sure if it was the rumbling engine, the squeak of my grandfather's driver's side door or just some internal sense that something had changed, but I woke up sometime later and looked out the window again. I saw my grandfather standing at the rear of his SUV looking around for several seconds before opening the back hatch. At first, I really couldn't see anything due to the angle, but when he reached in and started pulling out the body, I saw more than I wanted. It was a woman, and as I watched, he pulled her out enough to pick her up in his arms and began carrying her into the trees. I know that it was nighttime and there was a distance of probably 50 yards, but I could see it all very clearly, and with her hanging arms and lolling head, it was also clear that the woman was either deeply unconscious or dead. I felt panic well up in my chest. I didn't know what to do. Should I call 911? What if I was mistaken or he was trying to help her? Maybe she was just drunk, but if he was trying to help her... Wouldn't he have either carried her to a hospital or at least brought her inside here rather than carrying her into the woods? It was all so strange, and the longer that he was gone out of sight, the less real it seemed. So, I, I did nothing. I sat by the window, looking out for a number of minutes. And then, just when I was about to give up, he came back into view, empty-handed, and picking his way between the trees as he approached the car. He shut the back hatch on the SUV with a shake of his head, and then looked up, right at where I sat in the window. When I first saw the body, I had been careful to stay low and slightly back from the window, but time and the shock had led me to pay less attention to how visible I was, I guess, as I waited for him to return. And there was no doubt no doubt that he had seen me now. As if to confirm it too, he lifted his hand and gave a small wave. Feeling a, a strange combination of embarrassment and horror, all I could do was wave back. 
As I'm sharing this, it's the next morning and I've spent the last several hours deciding what to do or say to him while listening out for even the slightest creak of the floor or turn of the doorknob. He may not know that I saw the woman and I guess there could be some benign explanation, though that seems really unlikely at this point. Either way, I hear and smell him cooking breakfast and he's going to be knocking on my door any moment. I love my grandfather, but I, I don't trust him. Not anymore, anyway. I, I think I'm going to try and talk to him, but at the first sign of trouble, I'm out the door. If I have more to report and I'm able to do so, I'll share some more soon. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I left off while I was still upstairs trying to decide what to do. I had considered just waiting for my grandfather to come up and get me for breakfast. But the idea of him in the doorway of the only exit from the room, that made me very nervous. So I wound up just getting dressed, putting my keys and wallet in one pocket, and a small folding knife in the other, and heading downstairs. He was still at the stove when I entered the kitchen, and despite my fear, I could feel my stomach grumble at the smell of eggs, bacon, and coffee that permeated the air. Not that I could trust eating any of it, but my stomach wasn't concerned with trivial matters like rat poison and antifreeze. He turned and gave me a nod as I made my way to the table. Good morning, good morning. I was going to come up and get you in a few minutes. Hey, I hope you're hungry. Uh, nah, not too much. I lied. But my stomach has been weird this morning, so I think I'm going to have to wait it out. It does smell great though. I sat down in a chair where I could face him and reached the door outside or the living room quickly if things went south. He nodded his head and kept on poking at the eggs. Well, that's a bit of a shame, but it'll be here for you if you fill up to it a bit later. He set the pan of eggs on an unlit burner and turned to face me, his expression slightly concerned. Don't think you're getting sick, do you? I shook my head, weighing different lies and excuses. 
but finally, I decided that this was as good of an opportunity as I was going to get to broach the topic of what I had seen the night before. I, well, I've just been a bit worried since last night. I saw you when you came back last night. My grandfather was nodding already, but I pushed on. I saw all of it, not just when you came back from the woods. I saw the woman that you had. His expression didn't change at first, but after turning off the stove and taking a seat across the table from me, I saw a mixture of worry and sadness on his face. I thought you most likely had, and I know how something like that must look. I didn't want to frighten you by approaching you about it, and if I'm honest, I was, I was hoping that you would miss that part. Not the way that I wanted you to find out about all of this, that's for sure. He rubbed his mouth and gave a nervous smile. Still, I was half afraid that you'd gone when I got up this morning or that there'd be police out here. I know you can't trust me right now, but giving me the chance to explain means a lot to me. I nodded. His words were said in an even and reasonable tone, but I couldn't help but feel a sort of dull dread growing in my stomach. A part of me had hoped that he would deny everything and convince me that it was just a, a dream or a mistake. Instead, he was confirming that it happened, and I would be lying if I said that he wasn't intimidating, even in his kindest moments. He was very intelligent and half a foot taller than me, and the last couple of days had been proof enough that age had slowed him very little. Last night, he'd carried that woman without any sign of real effort, carried her lifeless body out into the dark to, well, who knows what. Come back to me. I know that this is frightening. I can tell that you have no reason to be afraid of me, but how much is that worth right now? Very little, I suspect so let me explain as best as I can. All I ask is that you listen to the entire thing, and if at the end of it all, if you want to call the police or leave or whatever you think is best, I will be fully cooperative. But I need you to hear the entire thing, because some of it, some of it is going to sound very strange at first. Okay? I leaned back in my chair, my head pounding. This was the point where... I had to make a decision to give him a chance or not, whether to risk myself even more or not. On the one hand, I could run and call the cops. On the other, I could hear him out and, in theory, still do that if I didn't like or believe what he had told me. Still, where did we put the tape? When he raised an eyebrow, I shrugged. I'll hear you out, but... I want you taped to that chair before we start. I can't risk this being a trick or you deciding that it's not going your way and you want to attack me. I could see the hurt in his eyes, but I pushed past it. I want to believe you, to trust you, but you know it's the smart thing to do on my end. He nodded. It is. It is. I'm proud of you for thinking of it. I just hate that it comes to that. But that's my fault, not yours, you're right. It's in the living room. I, I think it's on the table by the sofa. Standing up slowly, I backed into the living room and grabbed the tape, fearful for the five seconds that he was out of sight. 
but he was waiting in the same spot when I came back in, and he sat still while I put layers and layers of tape around his chest and arms, securing him firmly to the back of the wooden chair that he sat in. Pausing for a moment to consider, I then wrapped the remaining tape around his ankles and the front chair legs, just to be safe. The job done, I asked him if he was comfortable enough. When he said that he was, I sat back down across from him, my hands sweaty and slightly shaking as I tried to give him a comforting smile. Sorry again, but I'm ready to hear everything that you want to tell me now. My grandfather, he looked off in the distance for a moment before focusing his dark blue eyes on me. Your mama told you that my wife, your grandmother, Rebecca, died in a car wreck. A drunk driver, right? I nodded. Yeah, yeah, she said that she was killed going to visit you at the hospital. You'd been working on a patient for hours and she was bringing you some dinner? Dark anger flickered across his face, disappearing as he shook his head. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Well, the last part was right. I'd been working on a girl who had been shot in a, a hunting accident since early afternoon. The girl wound up living, but my sweet girl, your grandmother, she didn't get killed by a drunk driver. She was taken as she was getting out of her car at the hospital brutalized and torn apart with what was left of her being found in a, a field 10 miles away. His voice grew rough and cracked with emotion as he spoke. I didn't, I didn't even know anything was wrong at first, but someone found the, the covered dish that she was bringing me in the parking lot dropped and broken. They figured out that it was her car and then they came to me and I just finished the surgery an hour earlier, but still had a, another five hours on my shift, so I just went to take a nap thinking that she would wake me up when she got here. Instead, it was one of the admins asking if I'd seen my wife that evening. He spread his hands out on the table, long-fingered and steady even at his age. Staring at them, he continued, Your grandmother was a smart woman, a good woman. Sure, things were safer back then than they are now, but... It wasn't like no one ever got hurt or killed. Even in a smaller town like we lived in, it happened. But she had no real enemies and she was always careful when she traveled anywhere. My point is that no one would have easily gotten a jump on her. The police said at first that it could just be a misunderstanding or she could have just decided to leave, as stupid as that sounded. 
I spent all night looking for her, terrified and half out of my mind. By the next morning, the police were there with me, and it was just before noon when, when they found her body in that field. I made the mistake of going to the scene. I told myself that I was used to blood, to everything that a body could show, and that I owed it to her to see how she died. It was beyond anything I'd ever imagined. One arm and the opposite leg had been torn completely off and her torso had been shredded to such a degree that, well, it just didn't even look like a person at all. And that was actually better because, I don't know, it, it made it seem unreal, I guess. But then I, I saw her long, light brown hair. I'd always loved her hair so much and even attached to the shattered ruin of her face, I knew it anywhere. It was remarkably clean compared to the rest, as though someone or something had taken great care not to mess up or soil that pretty hair of hers. And that thought, that thought was the one that broke me, I think. I don't really remember much for the few days that followed. I know that I was at her funeral, but I really couldn't tell you anything about it. When I finally resurfaced from whatever stupor that I was in, I was sitting at home with my brother and his wife. They were trying to keep me company. We were watching TV, I think. I wanted to scream at them, to yell and make them understand that this was all a pointless thing now, that my life was over, that everything was over. So why were we trying to prolong things? Instead, I just told them that I appreciated their help and attention but that I knew that they needed to be getting back home and I needed some time to myself. They, they wasted little time in packing up and heading out. I spent the next day or so weighing various methods of, well, ending my own life. I really had no interest in living in the world without her. I believed in God and I think that suicide is a shame and likely a sin when done for such selfish reasons, but I was to the point that I just didn't care anymore. I didn't care if I went to hell for it. I, I felt like I deserved it for letting this happen to her. But this, this led me down the path of dwelling on what had happened to her and what had caused it, who had caused it. I set aside my ideas of pills and ropes and self-inflicted gunshot wounds. I got a, a shower and a shave and I went down to the police station. Over the next few days, I continued to harass them, pushing them to do more while understanding that there was likely very little that they could do. That they had looked for witnesses. There was none. They looked for evidence of how the attack was committed and had only come up with injuries caused by indeterminate blunt and serrated objects. There were no cameras at the hospital until three years later, and this was before the age of cell phones to track. After bullying them with a threatened lawsuit, I obtained copies of all their photos and reports, though. I poured through them, but I found little more of note. The parking lot was paved, so there were no tire tracks to follow, and no tire or shoe tracks had been found near the field where she was killed. But something about the parking lot just stuck out to me. I really wasn't sure what it was at first. After two days of looking at everything, though, 
it just hit me. You see, the hospital had a separate parking lot for doctors and surgical staff that was blocked by a mechanical arm and a keypad. Rebecca had the passcode, so she had parked there when she was taken. That parking lot was on the far rear of the hospital, not visible from the road and without any hospital roads or paths that would make it a thoroughfare for a casual passerby. So, what were the odds that someone had just happened upon her as they went by or decided to wait in a relatively small and quiet parking lot for hours until they had the chance to snatch someone? I decided that it seemed pretty unlikely. In retrospect, I know that it was certainly possible that I could have been wrong, but at the time I, I just needed answers. And I decided that focusing on someone who had worked in the hospital and or had access to the parking lot, like my wife, was the best first course of action. Among all the complaints I might have had about the investigation of Rebecca's murder, I would never have made it further without them. One of the detectives had actually pulled a tissue sample from under her fingernails and had sent it off to be tested if they ever got something to compare it to. Understand though that this was in 1986 and DNA testing was brand new. It wasn't even an option at the state crime labs at that time. And so, the likelihood of that sample ever being of use was small to none. But I still had to actually file a lawsuit to get the sample back so that I could send it to Daniel Church, a friend of mine from med school that had gone on to work at one of the foremost labs for DNA in the country. He couldn't do tests for me officially, but he knew what I was going through and he agreed to help as much as he could in an unofficial capacity. The main thing that he needed was visible samples from a suspect for comparison. Fortunately, that was the easy part. Hospital policy required all operating room doctors and staff to have semi-annual blood work both as a, a check for any substance abuse issues as well as a screening mechanism for any potential infectious diseases. After testing, the remainder of those samples were stored until the next round of tests six months later. The tests were all done at once, of course, but at any given time, there were 23 samples cooling in a fridge in the serology lab. So, I pulled some from each of them and I sent them to church. He called me two days later and his tone was grave. First off, he asked me where I had gotten so many samples so quickly. What was I getting him into? I told him that I wasn't getting him into anything. At most, he was just running some DNA tests with no indication of who was being tested or why. And if anyone ever did ask, I hadn't seen or heard of him since we graduated 15 years earlier. I could tell that he was still troubled, but after a long silence, he agreed to run the tests. Let me tell you though, the next five weeks were excruciating. The DNA testing was much slower back then and I understand that he was having to go slower than normal to do it in a, a clandestine manner. Still, every day I was constantly waiting for the phone to ring and when it finally did, I could hardly hear Church over the frantic thudding of my own heart. I asked him to repeat what he had said. Yes, so the tissue you first sent in is a match to sample 17. It's from that person, either them or their identical twin. 
I thanked him and hung up the phone. I had sent him numbers instead of names on the samples, but I knew whose was whose by heart at this point. Sample 17 belonged to an orthopedic surgeon at that hospital, Marcus Salk. He was a chubby middle-aged man that was always telling jokes and had a reputation as a good doctor. I didn't know him well, but I'd always gotten along with him fine enough. So why would he do this? My first urge was to find him and torture him until he told me why. I could feel my rage building as the information soaked in, my mind racing to dissect any interaction that we had ever had, any scrap of knowledge that I had about him. I thought that he had come to the hospital maybe about five years earlier, was unmarried and had a cat maybe, and it was at that point that I realized just how little I knew and how I needed to learn more before I committed any act and either hurt the wrong person or gave them an unintentional means of escape. And that was when I began studying Marcus Salk. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.